Hello and welcome to the Wholehearted Healer Podcast. My name is Dr. Avine Banish and I will be your host. This is the weekly podcast that helps women pause in their busy lives, drop into the heart, and remember their next right step. I am so happy that you're here. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the podcast. This week, I'm excited to share my conversation with Anthony McMorrin. Anthony is a writer, a massage therapist, a yogi, a deep thinker, and here's a little bit about his bio. Anthony discovered yoga philosophy in the late 1970s with a copy of the Upanishads that he found at a bookstore in his hometown of Vancouver, British Columbia. Around the same time, he took his first meditation class, which fueled his interest in yoga and self-inquiry. Always feeling a bit of an outsider with an early difficulty for putting into words the thoughts and feelings of a tumultuous childhood, meditation and the ideas he found in Eastern and mystical philosophies gave him a sense of peace. A creative writing class in high school introduced him to the tools and structures to begin to develop self-expression and he continued his writing studies for a year of college with British Columbia poet Sharon Thesson. After studying at the West Coast College of Massage Therapy and graduating in 1989, Anthony became a practicing massage therapist and owned and operated a successful clinic in Powell River, British Columbia, until moving to the United States to open Tuning Tree Healing Services with his wife, Katie McMorrin. He has continued to write throughout his life and his articles and poetry have appeared in the Elephant Journal, and local newspapers and publications. His first children's book, Where Do Words Come From, will be published in November of 2022, and he is also writing a book on mindfulness called Mindfulness Made Real. Anthony lives in Eau Claire, Wisconsin with his wife and three beautiful children. Without further ado, here is our conversation. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Wholehearted Healer podcast. I'm so grateful that you're here. And this week you're in for a treat. I'm having a conversation with Anthony McMorrin. Anthony is someone who I crossed paths with when I was living in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Anthony is a massage therapist, a writer, um, a yogi, and just someone who, um, whenever I saw him, um, he's just great at making you feel present and um and feeling as if you're having real conversation. And so, Anthony, I'm so excited to have you here on the podcast. Welcome. Well, thank you very much, Evan, and thanks for those kind words. I remember when we met. I remember the moment we met. Oh, you do? I'm not sure I do. You want to share that? Sure. I, I showed up at the center, and it was winter night, and I just moved to Eau Claire, and the center was the retreat center in Eau Claire in Altoona. And um you were there introducing the uh, teacher training program to anybody that was interested at that in that beautiful studio, and yeah. um, and I remember you just saying, um, maybe you'd consider taking this, or you you gave me an invitation, and then I'm like, yeah, that's actually an excellent idea. I will take that because I'd put off yoga teacher training years ago because I thought I wasn't flexible enough. <laughs> As so many <laughs> think, right? 
I'm glad and that you I watched just, that myth. What's that? So I think so many men think that. So it's great that you kind of got past that idea. Yeah, it just took me a long time. So thanks for helping me get past that <laughs> idea. <laughs> so Anthony, the reason, you know, I um, were friends on Facebook and in real life, but um, it came to my attention that you have this beautiful children's book coming out entitled, Where Do Words Come From? And so that might be a good place to start in terms of your current creative muse, what kind of called you to write that book, what it's about. Can you share a little bit about that? Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, I'm very excited about it. And I think where it came from was like a, a personal desire to make sure I wasn't losing my creative self, because I think that's really essential. Um, having little kids and a business and everything, it feels like having uh, tapped into creativity is what kind of sustains me and keeps my soul alive. And so I was actually uh, going through Jungian analysis at the time uh, with um, Fee and Paul. And that just opened up lots of music and lyrics and poetry. And it just came to me, this poem, it's just 262 words. Um, and it was written specifically for children. Um, but uh, yeah, you know how, how creativity comes, you know, the muse visits you and gives you a little download and then you either receive it or not. And if you don't receive it, somebody else, well, it doesn't really matter. Um, so I happened to receive it and I was listening and then went through a lot of careful editing. I had some professional editors uh, get at it and um, yeah, it's about words and thoughts and, and how they create our world. But, and, and then it's illustrated so beautifully uh, can I ramble on about this book? Because I'm so excited. Do. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it's beautifully uh, illustrated by Stella Maurice or Mongadi. And she's an Italian artist uh, living in Edinburgh. And um, she just does beautiful, rich, luminous artwork. And that's exactly what I was looking for. I wanted it to almost look dreamlike because I feel like words do create a dream. We create a dream for ourselves um, with words and our interpretations. Uh, words are our interpretations to life. And so uh, she beautifully reflects that. And so the images are kind of, it's metaphorical in its description of, um, you know, words and thoughts and and how they lead to actions and, and the different feelings we have and we have different words. And so it comes out in a month. I'm pretty stoked. And I love Anthony. I mean, you say that it's specifically written for children, but some of the most profound messages I think come through in children's books for adults. And so can you just speak a little bit more about that idea that we create, you know, I, I, um, I study and I offer sound healing. And so that's one of the first things that I teach is that right in all the great traditions, it talks about how um, in the beginning was the word and the word became the world. Um, that's, you know, that's in Christian, that's in the Bible, that's in the Vedas, that's in so many traditions. And so can you speak a little bit more about that and how, when we really start to get that, our life can change. Mm-hmm. Great question. Um, if I start to ramble and get off, uh, bring me back to that question, because I wanted to start by um, when I was in my teens, my mom gave me a book. And this is a lot of where my writing inspiration comes from is my birth mom. She gave me a book called The Way of Weird, W-Y-R-D by Brian Bates. And he was an anthropologist in Oxford. And um, he 
tells the story of an Anglo-Saxon um, adept who leaves the monastery uh, um, and goes into the woods to meet this shaman. And, and then it was a stories about um, their relationship and about the adepts um, um, intertwining of both Christian and nature-based religions. So it's a really interesting theme. But anyways, the shaman, um, Wolf, uh, uses the word word hoard, like we have a word hoard. And I really like that. And this reflected in the book, like in the book, the, the, the character has a little backpack and that's where his words come from. Um, and he carries it around. And so we can use our word hoard for the betterment of ourselves and others or not. Um, and first of all, we have to become aware of what's in that bag and how we're talking to ourselves. And, and that's like an entire practice mm-hmm. is and that's a part of mindfulness too. I mean, we could say mindfulness is bodyfulness because it's really about embodiment and noticing sensations. However, there's such a deep relationship between words and sensation. You can create a sensation in your body and a physiological reaction by thinking a certain thought, especially if it's emo- has emotional content. Um, and so our word hoard becomes a reflection of who we are and our, what our experiences have been and how we interpret things. Um, and so there's that, and I don't know if I'm answering your question, but then it comes down to that connection between parent and child too. You know, as a parent, um, have you ever, um, I've done this, it's bedtime, it's story time, you know, one of, I, I love story time. And, um, but I look at the stack of books and I go, oh no, not that one. <laughs> and I go and hide it somewhere, right? So my, <laughs> right. Since my, son, my son doesn't see it, you know, and I don't have to read that darn thing again. You know, maybe it was good a couple of times, but, and then other ones, and this is just, it's not because the book's bad. It might just be personal preference, but for me, I can read uh, The Gardener. Um, uh, I've forgotten her, the author at the moment, or Where the Wild Things Are. I mean, I could read that till the cows come home. So I wanted this book to be something that the parent would also have an experience of mindful ease and connection with their child. So that's what I'm hoping for. That's really beautiful. And it reminds me of like a good Pixar movie. I remember my kids were growing up like right as those Pixar movies became really popular. And often, I mean, I love it when there's a message, a book or a movie that um, can be hilarious and fun on kind of a surface level, but then there's a deeper message that um, that you can kind of grow into or that a parent may receive at the same time as a child may be entertained. Yeah. Exactly. You know, it, it's, it's a martyr, martyrdom is old school, you know, mm-hmm. it's really, martyrdom's really old school. Martyrdom, I mean, not, not to bash people, I don't mean, I don't mean like selfless sacrifice is not what I mean when I say martyrdom, but martyrdom, I think in terms of my own personal reflection of it for myself, I can't speak for others is, um, comes from unhealed trauma. Um, it's more of a victim state. Um, and so, uh, if we can have experiences with our kids that are expanding, for both of us, isn't that kind of the best? And when Katie and I decided to have kids, we didn't know if we were going to. Um, but then when we decided to, we we made the commitment, you know, let's always remember it's you and me and the kids along for the ride. You know, because, yeah, because, you know, we were all raised with, you know, I did it for your own good, but, you know, why didn't you have a good time too? You know, what are you, you know, you, I just feel like you, that rubs off, you know, you've created a family culture again, through our words and how we're talking to ourselves, like, oh, damn, it's story time again. 
you know, I'm too tired to read. Oh, well, I'll just do it anyways. Or like, oh, wow, what could we dig into and having that connection? And so everything, everything, everything. Yeah. Well, and I think parents of young children, um, it's often a time like when you think back on that time in your life, because my kids are a little older now. um, You know, there's that saying like the days are long, um, but the years are short. It's almost like you can get into this sort of mechanical um, this is, you know, it's dinner time and now it's bath time and now it's story time. And now we go to bed and we're exhausted and we start it the next day. So I think, um, any degree of mindfulness and awareness and intention, um, goes a long way, especially at that time in our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I also see that you're writing another book, and I'm guessing this is for adults, entitled Mindfulness Made Real. Can you tell us a little bit about that book? Well, thank you. Um, yes, I I did a, my COVID project was a video um, called The Mindfulness Process. And it seemed to me like mindfulness was another task, you know, that we had to do and that we're inevitably going to fail at. Um, and so I tried to create a a more healthy context around mindfulness and what it meant to me. It turned into a, a video project that I did with Micah Davis with Soulshine. Um, and we had really a lot of fun doing that. Um, and then uh, I realized that, you know, quite often I'll, I'll um, teach something or say something. And I just, you know, one of the things I hate is when somebody teaches me something that I learned 20 years ago but I don't have a chance to, to just say, okay, I got it. Can we move on to the next thing? It's not bad or wrong. It's just like, I got that part. Can we go somewhere new with it? You know? So in the same way, I'm always afraid of, te- of saying things people already know. And so in the mindfulness process videos, I thought, Oh, I'll just do this thing and everybody will get what I mean. And, but a lot of times people have, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, oh, well, that's so interesting. Okay. I guess I could talk more about that. And so, um, I just take the mindfulness process, which for me is awareness, acceptance, action, and I just flesh it out. And I did that by creating like a monthly Zoom meeting that lasts about 45 minutes. Um, and we kind of go through it for a year. And at the end, I'll just I'll condense that material and um, and turn it into a book. I was inspired as a teenager by this little tiny book called The Lazy Man's Guide to Enlightenment. Mm-hmm. And it was teeny, teeny, tiny. And, and very inexpensive. And I just loved its brevity and its clarity and its expansiveness all at the same time. So I wanted to do the same thing um, for mindfulness, but I'm such a jabberer. It'll be a real challenge, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I love, I think, I think we're constantly remembering truth and forgetting it. And I sort of see, you know, there was a time where I get really frustrated by that. Um, and now I just see that it's part of the process of being human and it's part of our relating to one another. Like, I really think that there are times where you're here to remind me of something that I've forgotten and then vice versa. Um, and that we just keep doing that for one another until hopefully one day we don't forget. Yeah. And in the meantime, we will have realized that everything is better with connection with mm-hmm. others. Yeah. yeah. That is well said, Amy. Exactly right. Mm-hmm. And so Anthony, you and Katie have created this community in Eau Claire, um, where you offer massage therapy and classes and um 
Can you talk about talk about that? Talk about being a business owner in that space and and what that journey has been like for you. Um, well, I suppose I'd speak about it in general terms if I could. Um, just when I look back at you know any kind of chapter of my life, it seems to me that when I self reflect that I'm mostly interested in contributing to others through some creative pursuit. Um, and the form it took for 30 years was massage therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and now I, I can lean on that just, just fine. You know, even on days when I feel like I'm not doing a good job, it's apparently good enough. And, you know, at a certain point, um, you do master a skill, um, which doesn't mean it's for everybody, but you do master it for yourself. Um, and now I'm ready to just, um, I guess, exercise some of those other creative outlets. Um, so not doing so much massage and purposely taking that sacrifice, for example, in income. I know I'm not going to work on Tuesdays and Thursdays because I want to write. I want to make music. I want to create, have other projects that are, you know, life fulfilling. And that's part of that, you know, you and me along and the kids along for the ride. Katie and I are always doing that. She's always coming up with new, not necessarily new ideas, but an evolution of ideas that, that makes life constantly interesting. Yeah. It's, it is a really wild ride. When I look at my life, it's just, I'm definitely sliding into the grave, you know, and that's not that far away, you know, at a certain age, you kind of go, okay, that it's like, like, even if I had a really good, super duper run at life, I got 30 years and that would be an amazing, amazing run, but more likely probably 20 or 25 or maybe I'll die today or tomorrow. But I mean, that's always a possibility. Um, but that just kind of crystallizes things for one, doesn't it? <laughs> well, you have this great paradox right now in that you have a new baby on the way. So you're holding more than I would say most um, most expecting dads are holding with that sort of a view, right? I mean, really from the moment we're born, we're sliding towards the grave is one way to look at it. But I think yeah. uh, I'm coming up on a big birthday this year too. And it, it you can't help but kind of, um, for me, it makes me savor a little bit more, you know, mm-hmm. um, just because you're aware at how, how time really does kind of fly, even if you're mindful oh, of it. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. It does. It is a, it's a total gift. Life becomes way, has become way richer for me. I always, you know, whenever I hear, oh, you're turning 20 or 30 or 40 or 50, it's like every decade better, you know? For sure, because it just has that natural, like when something's sweet, it's like the bottom of the ice cream bowl. It's like, ooh, I got one left. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the first, the first ten bites, you might have gone mm, ice cream, right? But then you yeah. get down and you go, mm, wow, that's great. <laughs> that's a really beautiful um, metaphor to look at aging, because I think in our culture, it's not often seen that way, right? There's so much rhetoric about, oh, how you're going to lose this and this is going to be so hard. And, you know, um, so that's a really beautiful way to flip that on its head and to really like you're savoring, um, you know, the last of the ice cream. Yeah. What do you think that fear is? Is it fear of pain or fear of letting go? Or why do you, what do you think? I just think in our culture, I think death has become hidden, you know, Um, like my grand, my my parents are from Ireland and in Ireland still actually often people are waked in the home, you know, so death is present. And 
I think when we used to live closer to the land and on a farm, you know, death was present. Kids understood that. And now it's in our culture anyway, it's really tucked away. I think that maybe has part, part, part to do with it, perhaps. What do you think? Well, I think to our detriment, you know, that we tuck it away. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I, I was really lucky as a young child to have kind of a vision of my death. Um, and so that was really, I was really lucky. Can you share that with uh, us, Anthony? Do you feel comfortable? Yeah. Uh, just briefly, uh, you know, where do you start a story? I'll start it right toward, right at the very end. I was looking up at the twilight sky and I thought, well, you know, if things go on forever, I was probably I don't know, somewhere between seven and 10. I don't really know. And I looking at the night sky and say, well, if it goes on forever, I imagine my tra- myself traveling, you know, through space. And let's say you come to a wall. Well, then there's going to be a, another side of that wall. And then you'd go, for, you know, no matter how many walls you reach, you would, it's physical space. So it must go on forever. Um, and then at the same time, I had this, this awareness that time was the same. And that the moment of my death, don't ask me how a kid could, you know, kind of get that, but I did. Um, I thought, oh, the moment of my death is going to be like right now. I'm not actually going to be able to distinguish this from that. It all, all, all the time just kind of compressed or disappeared. Um, and so kind of the older I've gotten, the more grateful I am for that experience. If it's like, oh, yeah, this weird thing and you know, never thought much about it. But um, yeah, so that's all. Did that experience, you know, I think there's a lot of existential fear as you talked about around death. Do you have less fear, do you feel, than than others maybe that you've talked to because of that experience? Well, I haven't been through death, so I don't know. But in terms of like, I don't I don't fear death. I'm I'm afraid of physical pain. Mm-hmm. But apparently they just morphine you up, you know, but then you're not really conscious. So that's a trade-off. I think probably psychedelics, you know, I think if I, if I'm, when death, when the day of death does approach today or tomorrow or 30 years, um, I think if I'm really anxious and not able to be present for the experience, I'd want to take um, psilocybin or some such, or MDMA, some psychedelic that will keep me connected and um, expand my, my perspective so that I don't go into, oh no, and then just, you know, morphine up and disappear. I don't know. Very interesting. Who knows, right? Yeah. But it's probably like parent, parent, sorry. No, go ahead. I just want to say it's probably like parenting. No, you know, there's the parent you are before you have kids. And then there's the parent you are when you have kids. So I think death might be a little <laughs> bit the same. <laughs> so I'm probably speaking out of my ass. <laughs> yeah, that's really well spoken. Yeah. We all, we all thought we were going to do things one way. And then, then it, it comes out much, much differently. Um, it'll be interesting, you know, that's an interesting comment with, with psychedelics. There's so much research and such a resurgence of interest and application. Now that would, you know, that would be a really interesting, um, phenomenon if that started to happen to allow, um, allow for awareness, um, without pain might be Mm -hmm. a beautiful thing. Yeah. Well, one of the earliest, um, excellent studies on psilocybin was done with um, people with terminal cancer that were having end-of-life anxiety and finding that it's it's dramatically helpful like a single a single dose so yeah. yeah there's there's definitely some hope take the pressure off the ssris <laughs> yeah 
I don't know if they're doing the job. So yes, it's good. It's good that there are other options on the horizon. Um, well, Anthony, it's, you know, I'm so excited for this book. Um, I'm so excited that your creativity that, you know, I, I totally agree with what you say that I think there are creative ideas. Um, Elizabeth Gilbert writes about this so beautifully in that book, Big Magic, you know, this muse that can visit and we can choose as free sovereign beings, whether or not we're going to listen and take heed of the muse. And like you said, if, if we don't, it'll pass us over and find someone else because creative ideas, I believe, want to come through um, when they want to come through. And so congratulations to you for for writing it down and for um, cultivating it and nurturing it into a book um, that I'm sure will uh, benefit um, bedtimes everywhere, right? Children and <laughs> like, um, where will, where will it be available once it comes out? Well, I just wanted to just quickly say, you know, I would encourage every, everyone to really listen to that, that quiet little voice inside and the voice of experience and the voice of sensation. and. Um, because it uh, it has a gift to offer us all the time, all the time. But it'll be um, I'm gonna have it available on Amazon. Beautiful. Self-published through Amazon. Yeah. yeah, and you know, it's you you started out by talking so eloquently about creativity as an as an outlet for soul, right? And that as we get older and um, we have more and more. Um, I don't know if you'd call them responsibilities, right? Parenting and being a business owner and an entrepreneur and um, that sometimes creativity gets squeezed out as something that's less important or something that we did when we were young. Um, and I think that your message about really taking time and creating a life that um, nurtures because creativity does take time and space, right? It, it speaks to us in whispers and it we often need some inspiration and a sense of spaciousness, even in our day, in order to allow it to move through us. Yeah, and it's really creativity as, as what your soul has to and is native to do. So not even that you need to pull, it's not a, it's not a to-do, it's more just like an un, uncovering, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so it, it's all like, yeah, there's, there's no admonishment to it. It's more just an allowing, I think. What the creativity, as far as I see it, because it, in order to be soul affirming, it has to come from the soul. So it feeds the soul. So it's not, and sometimes, you know, you might explore something like, oh, I've always wanted to try this. And you're trying to go, oh, that was terrible. I'm not, I don't want to do that. So then you, but, so it is, can be a discovery process, but it's that thing that you feel like, ah, oh, yes. And you just want to do it, you know, because it has that, ah, oh, yes, feeling that pleasure. Yeah. And I think that has to do with orientation too, right? In terms of darshan or our view, like if we come from that space of wholeness and that we already, it's just, I like what you said is that it just needs like the mirror has to be polished or it just has to be allowed rather than something we have to go out. And um, sometimes creativity can, the language around it is that you're almost wrestling yourself into a chair to kind of allow, you know, um, some of the messaging with creativity is that way. And so in, when we look at it that way, we can feel as if we're not doing it right. You know, um, if, yeah. if we can't force ourselves. And so I love that view that we create some space and it's soul affirming and then whatever rises, rises. Yeah, exactly. Just creating that space. So that's a conscious act 
you know, you have to do you have to create that space for it. But I like that um, polishing the mirror metaphor that describes describes it so well. Yeah. Well, Anthony, is there anything that we didn't touch upon today that you'd like to talk about? It's just been a great conversation. Thank you. Yeah, it's nice to see you and it's nice and, um, and talk to you. And I'm grateful for the work that you and Katie are doing in um, Eau Claire, Wisconsin, and one of my favorite little necks of the woods. And um, I wish you blessings on the birth of your new child coming soon into the world. Um, and how lucky that um, he has chosen or she has chosen um, you as parents, because it's just a wonderful, um, that's a gift to start out wow. the world with. Wow. Thank you. That is very kind of you and all the very best to you and your family. Thanks, Anthony. I will look forward to um, getting your book and it sounds like it'll be out just in time if someone wanted that as a holiday gift too. So I'm excited to see it and to see the artwork. Can't wait. I appreciate that. Thank you very much, Avine. Thanks, Anthony. Thank you.